Hey, welcome. I'm Dr. Fred Domenico, And I'm Dr. Douglas D. Siena. And this is Resurrecting Our Freedom podcast. And today we are fired up because we have a doctor, another chiropractor I met at a seminar a few years back, Dr. Casey Pride. And, you know, the more I learn about you, Casey, and the more we interact, and now you're down here in California, the more I learn about you, the more I'm fascinated with the things you've done in your life. And really, not just what you've done, but who you are. And so you were just a quick outline of what we're going to go through. You're raised in a chiropractic family. You're actually a product of a chiropractic miracle. The reason you're sitting in that chair, became a chiropractor, had some serious uh, influential events that actually brought you into sex trafficking and uh, being, I don't know, what would you call, not, not necessarily a first responder. I, you'll have to tell us the details, but uh, yeah, fascinated to hear those experiences and your motivation there back in the chiropractic practice. And uh, man, it's just a fascinating story. So uh, I'm excited yeah. for us both to share this with you. No, I appreciate it, man. It's an honor to be chatting with you. Cool, man. So tell us from the beginning, I, mom and dad were a chiropractor, uh, you know, you're, yeah. you're a chiropractic living miracle. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's what I tell people, man, is I'm a chiropractic baby. Um, my, both my parents were chiropractors. And for the first 11 years they were married, they couldn't have kids. You know, my mom miscarried multiple times. You know, they were reaching a point in their marriage where uh, they were looking at either adopting or, or going some other route. And chiropractic was a second career for both of them. They started chiropractic school. And within months of my mom getting adjusted regularly, it was boom, pregnant with me and then pregnant with my sister and my brother all within a three-year period. So uh, power was on, as they say. And she uh, when yeah. it started, man, momentum was going one, two, three. Probably <laughs> 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 like, finally, let's, let's get this get this ship moving here. Get it out of the heart. <laughs> I have something to say. You know, one of the things that I've noticed so often is people come in like on the verge of, of adoption and they undergo chiropractic care for no other reason other to understand the principle of chiropractic. And pregnancy occurs. It happens all of the time. I've seen it hundreds of times. Yeah, my yeah. God. You know, people have been through fertility drugs, have been through all those programs. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I've said this to Dalton, the, the guy right here. <laughs> you know, we said, I don't remember women that couldn't get pregnant or had multiple miscarriages that did not either get pregnant or go full term. I don't believe I ever had one in 15 years and there were so many and then i always say don't tell them your chiropractor got you pregnant yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i've gotten to see that too which is it's pretty awesome to be a product of that and then be able to pay that forward as well so yeah that's so awesome so then you're yeah. like i guess that, that was your whole destiny you had to become a chiropractor yeah and you know growing up practice what's that that's okay go ahead you came out of school you went into practice well, even before that, you know, I, I grew up and I knew and everything was different. You know, I was so much healthier than the kids around me. You know, I was the kid who when cold and flu season would go around and everyone's throwing up at school and going home and missing class. And I was the kid that never missed a day of school. And, uh, you know, I mean, imagine being so healthy that you that you feel like you're weird, that you don't actually fit in. You know, at, at lunch, when kids would be lining up to get their medicine at the nurse's office, I never did. and. Uh, and so I've always kind of grown up different. And as I've gotten older, I, I, I really began to appreciate that. And, uh, but at the same time, it, it angers me, man. I mean, it angers me that to, to live a life of, of full expression of your innate intelligence, full expression of health is to live in this tiny, tiny minority. And, 
I hit a point after after college where it was where I realized just how rare of a gift this was. And I knew that because you never missed school, did you get better grades or you just kind of screwed up anyway? <laughs> I got good grades. I got good grades, man. I had parents who uh, who definitely would would not let me uh, mess around. You know, they they made sure that I, I that I uh, lived up to what I was capable of in school. Yeah, there you go. My parents tried, but uh, <laughs> I didn't really fit school very well. My my kids missed school. Not they got an award for never missing school. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is like no fun. I start taking back and going to some fun things, but it's amazing how chiropractic care. The amazing thing is kids under chiropractic care versus kids under medicine, there's actually a study, there's such a difference in outcome. Oh. It's crazy that more people don't know basically the truth that we all know, which is real quick commercial for you, which is why it's so important Fred, for what you do in terms of communications, because we've been at this now over 100 years, and it's, it's a shameful the small number of people we can have the gift of the principle of chiropractic, you don't understand it, and therefore don't receive it. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely no question about that. I think what's today, December 1st, 2020, whenever you guys, viewers, are watching this, you know, I just saw studies last night about kids are going through depression, and they're serious. They're depressed. They're scared of the uncertainty. They're afraid that not only are they going to get sick, they're more afraid their parents are going to get sick and die and they're going to be left alone. And I think it was one study I saw, 37% of kids under 10 years old are experiencing depression. I believe it was 32% are experiencing anxiety. It means an average 35% of American kids growing up in America under 10 years old are already depressed and anxious. Yeah, to that yeah, to it, one out of five adolescent females are hurting. One out of five. Yeah, I mean, That's talk terrible. about, and because they're worried about their health, right? Fear paradigm. And we grew up, we, well, I, I grew up with an RN, but I mean, it's like what you're saying, you're different. Growing up in that world, we live in a bubble. And our, and patients, and I know I coach, their patients have confidence. They bring their kids in that have confidence. These kids are being raised with chiropractic. They're not going through the same experience, at least with their health. I mean, the social distancing and the masking, that's a little different. I'm sure that has an effect, but at least they're not fear in fear of COVID. Yeah, they're jumping through the hoops and they know the hoops are ridiculous. Yeah, so anyway, we're supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I'm with you on that, man. Sorry, let's get back to your story. So <laughs> while you're in school, you went on a mission trip down in Dominican Republic. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just went down there, saw firsthand the power of chiropractic. You know, we were taking care of people with only our hands, no, no nutrition advice, no corrective exercise. All we had were our hands and tables, and we just saw incredible miracles. And that trip changed my life. And it just—I had a pull on my heart. It was like, I'm, I'm going to this country. This is where I'm going to work after I graduate. So practiced there for about a year. Well, little did you know that that was setting a stage for something much bigger. So tell us about that after you came back. Yeah, well, I, when I moved down there to practice, I spent a little time there. And I remember being in a really crowded market. And this was not a touristy area. This was a local, a local market. You no know, no people like me there. And someone came straight up to me with this young girl, probably seven years old, pushed her toward me and tried to sell her to me for sex. 
And I remember just the shock and the, the powerlessness I felt in that moment of not being able to do anything for this girl. You know, if that had happened here in California, I probably know a number of cops personally who I could call up, tell them exactly where it happened, exactly what was going on, or do something myself down there. Um, it was just a, a feeling of powerlessness like I've never known. And that experience just never left me. And, uh, and, felt a calling to go into that work, the anti-sex trafficking work, the anti-child prostitution work, and ended up getting into that. Well, yeah, so let's let's back up a little bit. So there's a couple things skipped over. Jumped, jumped ahead a little bit, huh? Yeah, I can't imagine the feeling that you had. I mean, not only powerless, but the, I'm sure the compassion and empathy. What did you feel for that little girl? Grief, sadness, just... Um... You know, now that I've actually worked in that, I see what those, what those kids go through personally, you know, just, I mean, literally being raped multiple times a day. And uh, very often it's, it's just completely out of desperation. They feel like they have no choice. So just the hopelessness and uh, the hopelessness and the feeling that that's all their worth, you know, that wasn't okay with that. Right. So you came back and then you thought, man, I need to go down there and do this. So you applied and then, and then you immediately got noticed. Tell us what happened. Well, I came back to the U.S. I practiced in Dominican Republic for about a year and then came back to my hometown, Illinois, Champaign, Illinois. I started the practice there. Built that practice up on paper. Everything looked good. You know, practice was doing well. I was around my family, around my friends, great church, great community, but I just felt out of place. And, uh, and I just felt this calling back to Dominican Republic. And, and I felt called to do that work, the anti-sex trafficking work. And I, I knew that uh, the organization I ended up working for called Destiny Rescue had just started operations in Dominican Republic. And they were looking for international rescue agents, which are the agents that go in undercover and find and rescue kids from trafficking, exploitation, abuse, rape, slavery. And I applied, I mean, I, I, just to see what would happen. And within 48 hours, I had a, a job offer to go down there and work in Dominican Republic as an international rescue agent. And I still had my practice. I mean, I, everything, I still had everything. I still had a lease on my apartment. I still had everything going on in the United States. And uh, I made a decision, a quick decision. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. And so I uh, wound my practice down, ended up selling just about everything I owned and uh, went to Thailand, actually, to, to train, to do the work, did some operations in Thailand. and then straight to Dominican what Republic. Like? I mean, you're in Thailand, you say, well, the train, what's training like? Training's intense, man. Uh, the first day we got there, and I can't, I can't tell you too much about it, but the first day we got there, they had us in bars, in brothels, um, basically looking for kids. I mean, the very first night we were there. So you're trained on all kinds of things, how to use hidden cameras, how to get information from people, um, how to, uh, I mean, self-defense is a huge, huge self-defense piece of it. Um, and, uh, you know, working in partners, situational awareness and, uh, and a lot of the self-defense we had to learn, uh, was actually defending ourselves from the prostitutes who were really, really aggressive. You know, anytime I've had to defend myself doing the work, I, I really haven't had any altercations with men who wanted to hurt me. It's always been really aggressive prostitutes. And so a lot of it was just, how do you, um, how do you protect yourself from them? Uh, because when, when you're doing this work, there's a really strict touch policy. Obviously, you're undercover, you're in, you're in brothels, you're, you're, you're working with 
you know, children who are being trafficked and things like that, but there's a strict policy, even though we're in there um, working undercover, we're not to engage in that kind of thing, right? And so um, there's very strict uh, policy on how you touch these women, how you, how you touch, you know, these children, you, you, there's no inappropriate touching. So a lot of the self-defense that you learn is how to, you know, when they're very aggressive with you, how to uh, basically ward, ward them off without really blowing your cover and making it look like you don't want to be there and without looking out of place. And so you're really learning how to fit in, how to defend yourself, how to be aware of what's going on, um, how to record things with cameras and uh, how to how to work with law enforcement, how to how to build a question, though, when you say aggressive prostitutes. Why would they be aggressive towards you? Because they think you're a perpetrator? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, let me, let me be more clear on that. So when I say aggressive, I mean, you have, you have women, you know, and we notice this especially in Thailand, but Dominican Republic too, who are desperate. You know, they're desperate for customers. You know, they're, they're, uh, so when I say aggressive, I mean, they, they want to do anything they can to get your business. So they'll walk right up to you and grab you right, right in the groin, grab you right between the legs or do whatever they can to get your attention try and get you to buy them for the night and uh, and uh, some of these some of these girls are are kids and so learning how to uh defend yourself from that without hurting them and without throwing up red flags like you're an undercover agent you know you have to still you have to sort of warn them off but still look like you want to be there yeah right interesting so you went through that training then you went through dominican republic and um i don't know you want to share a bit about I mean, I guess you shared a lot of what that is, but how long were you in Dominican public? What was that like? What kind of things did you see? Yeah, well, I, I originally signed a contract to work in Dominican Republic for two years. It ended up being shorter than that because of, well, you know what happened in the world. But uh, I spent uh, the, the period of time that I was there um, going undercover in different parts of the country. I mean, we went all over that country to areas that were known to have child prostitution, um, trafficking. Uh, Dominican Republic was trafficking, trafficking a lot of women from uh, unstable areas like Venezuela and Haiti. Uh, so they were getting a lot of women from there. So we did some operations, worked with the police uh, to get, get a number of brothels shut down that were trafficking Venezuelans and Haitians in. And then just going on to going on the streets, in, on the streets in Santo Domingo, Punta Cana, uh, Puerto Plata, really all over the country, finding kids that were, that were stuck in prostitution of some form. And Dominican Republic was a little different from Thailand because Thailand was very well organized. I mean, it was like sex tourism capital of the world. I mean, people come in from all over the world just uh, for prostitution there. Dominican Republic, they, they fly under the radar a little bit more because, uh, you know, they get so much of their revenue from American tourism that, that law enforcement tries to kind of keep it on the underground, keep it on the down low where it's not as visible. So a lot of the uh, a lot of the child prostitution is uh, you have to really dig for it. You have to you have to really you have to really search for it to find it. So that's what a lot of the work was was searching for it. Right. At those at that point in time, are these girls coerced into doing this, or are they do this of their own free will for economic reasons? It's more that it's more the economic reasons. So uh, you know, I remember the first girl we that 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 I was involved in rescuing was uh, she was 17 years old. When I found her, uh, we found her, I was working on the street and she, so there was this group of prostitutes working on the street, all of them dressed very provocatively. This one girl though was wearing a hoodie and looked underage, looked like she was probably 15, 16 years old. And it uh, turns out she was right around that age and was eight months pregnant, was wearing the hoodie to hide her stomach. And she was still working on the streets because uh, she was that desperate. 
So a lot of uh, a lot of the girls we found, I mean, no one wants to do that work. Uh, most of them, it's they feel like it's their only choice. Maybe it's generational. Maybe it's what their mom did. Um, very often, they had a number of siblings. They were the oldest of five or six kids in their family. The family could only afford to feed three of them. You know, the oldest child would go work in prostitution to make some extra money and pay the rest of the bills. So that's what we found most of the time. Um, very well, kind yeah, yeah, but then, then of course, you do have trafficking, where you have uh, you, you've got traffickers who promise women a job, work in in a restaurant, or working as a bartender, or something like that. They promise them a better life in Dominican Republic. They bring them in from Venezuela or Haiti, and when they get there, they take their passports from them, and then they basically make them work off a debt that they never really work off. And uh, so it, it it can look a number of different ways. I didn't really see much of the stuff that you see in the movies, like Taken, where you've got drugged up girls and cells and things like that. That's not really what I, that's out there, but I didn't, that's not really the kind of work that I did. It was more uh, finding girls that were doing it, doing it for their own free will because they felt like they had no other choice. Yeah. I've heard that before. And we did that with Craig of, uh, we did a SEAL team six, retired SEAL team six that does, uh, goes out. I believe they go to Mexico and pull sex traffic girls up and, and that's what he said too. You know, they feel like they don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what a lot of uh, a lot of the operations looked like. Is we'd find these girls and try to find some way to meet them outside of that setting, and just offer them a way out. And uh, well, what happens with these girls after? Like, so after you get them, then what what happens to them next? So Destiny Rescue and and a lot of the organizations that do this kind of work, like Operation Underground Railroad, um, it, there's aftercare. So we partnered with a safe house down there and yeah, you rescue, but obviously when you rescue one of these children, there's a lot of healing, a lot of rehabilitation that needs to happen. Cause that's, I mean, I can only imagine the trauma, you know, I've seen it, but I've never experienced it. Um, so they, um, there's a, there's rehabilitation and then, then reintegration. So whether that's placing them back with their families, if that's safe, sometimes it's not because sometimes it's their own families that are pimping them out. But if it's possible to place them with a family or their family, that's ideal. Um, and teaching them job skills, putting them through school, you know, whatever we can do to help them to heal and then return to the world, you know, in in a in a healthy way, whether that's school or career or something like that. Wow, amazing! So then you're down there, man. COVID hits, and then it's all of a sudden it's like massive lockdown. So we got to get out of there. Yeah, so I was out on operation. Actually, we were actually visiting the safe house and training up some of their uh, some of their staff, you know, to deal with with some of the girls that, that were being rescued, and uh, and working with some of the kids as well, and and then doing operations nearby. And one of the other agents, who's a local Dominican guy, pulls out his phone. He's like, "Oh, looks like you're going to be stuck here for two weeks." It's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, the president is closing the borders. No one in or out for for two weeks," and. Uh, being in natural health and sort of understanding the pharmaceutical industry and, in the bigger and yeah, I just thought bullshit. This isn't going to be two weeks. And, uh, I, you know, I just didn't, there was something about this where it was like, you know what, I've seen people make a big deal out of things that were not a big deal like Zika and, you know, it, the, the virus of the year, right. That's that scares people into getting whatever the vaccine of the day is. And I just thought when I first saw the coronavirus scare tactics and all that, I was like, Oh, this is just another, this is the next Zika. This is the next SARS. This is the next swine flu. 
and they're going to really ratchet up the fear. But once they said, you know, we're closing the borders, um, I just knew this was different. And I knew it wasn't going to be two weeks. And um, and as soon as they closed the borders, then they or right before they closed the borders, they also put an arrest on site curfew in place at 7 p.m. Ended up rolling it back to 5 p.m. Um, and that curfew is still in place there. So I knew I, I knew it was time to get out of Dodge. I had a couple of days to pack up. Um, Santo Domingo Airport closed, which is where I lived. So I couldn't get out of Santo Domingo. I kept booking flights. They kept getting canceled. Finally, ended up getting a flight out of Punta Cana because they were letting a few tourists out. So basically took everything I could carry to Punta Cana. I still have some stuff down there. Um, flew home. So, yeah, you look like a tourist. You're a tall white boy, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I fit right in. Tourist. <laughs> Yeah, they were letting American citizens out, and uh, they let me out. So, yeah. So you came back. Now, all that, I mean, look at your face, man. You, like, got this baby face. You're the nicest guy. You're, you're, you have such a peaceful energy about you, truly kind-hearted humanitarian. Thank you, know, people don't know, are you a multiple-degree black belt? Do you study Taekwondo? You, you know, you're like... You're doing sex trafficking, you know, you have all these intense things about you, yet you have this demeanor of being the nicest guy, which you are. No, thanks, man. But, uh, like, you're a, you're a lion on the inside. Oh, I mean, I've always been, I've, I've always been interested in martial arts and just being able to handle myself and protect myself, you know, and I don't think, I mean, yeah, I don't know what to say other than that, man. I mean, I... <laughs> Well, I used to hate sparring guys like you because you got really long legs and a really long reach. So when I was oh, yeah. boxing, be like, okay, I may have to eat one or two to get inside, but if I get inside, you're dead meat. But I gotta, I may have to eat one. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to take a couple to get in there. So it's like, yeah, guys like you, guys like you, I'm, yeah, guys like you, I'm just gonna kick, keep you, keep you away from me. <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not gonna let you grab a hold of me, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny. So then, so you finally get out of there, you came back and you ended up in California. Yep. Yep. I had been in conversation with uh, Dr. Howard Cohn over at the Cohn Health Institute here in Costa Mesa. And uh, I had planned on going there to work after I was done with Destiny Rescue. That ended up happening sooner than I anticipated and they were ready for me. So uh, when I got back to the U.S., I came and visited the office. It was right around when everything was it was right before everything started locking down that I visited the first time. Um, and then after things locked down and I moved back, he was ready. I mean, they were ready to have me and made the move. So. Yeah. And then you started your own podcast, right? Cause you've, you've interviewed me a couple of times about you're more powerful. And so tell us about your podcast and what your purpose is with that and give us the yeah. name. Of it. Yeah. So the podcast, I actually just actually launched the, the podcast itself. And I call it the Powers On Podcast, and you guys will get that being entire practice. But uh, it really started, I, I made a video back in April. It was just a live video where I talked about uh, my home the governor in my home state of Illinois, this, this contact tracing program he was putting into place. And he had posted something on Facebook about it. I did this video about, about contact tracing and, and just kind of sounding the alarm on it. And I did not expect it to go viral the way it did. But it went from, you know, zero views when I first put it out to a million and a half views by the end of the week to the point where I was getting on, recognized on the street here in California. And uh, so social media presence just exploded. And at that point, I just I realized that people were were interested in what I had to say. They were interested in my perspective on things. And 
I've been wanting to start a podcast for a while. So I just started interviewing guys like you and people who inspire me, people who I thought these people needed to hear from. And it kind of expanded from there. So I've switched completely now to a podcast format. And that's what I'm doing, putting out weekly episodes of that. But I was doing about three, three lives per week um, on Fridays, just putting as much content out as I could, sounding the alarm, what's going on with COVID. And just uh, trying to bring people good information to make better decisions with. Because people are just uh, getting such bad information right now. So we'll talk on that in a second. But I find it fascinating. You're in the Dominican Republic helping females who were abused and sex trafficked. And now you're actually back in California in chiropractic where we are having an explosion of domestic abuse and domestic violence. And you're kind of doing the same thing. You're still saving lives, still protecting these uh, young people and their mothers. And you're spreading the truth about what's really going on with COVID. So why don't you give us the segue into COVID? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you said it best, man. I mean, we, I don't have a single patient or a family member of patient who's died of COVID, but we've had patients and family members who have been suicidal. We had a staff member who had a family member commit suicide just the other day. Uh, I mean, we're seeing just the, the awful unintended or maybe intended consequences of these lockdowns that are just far worse than, than this, than this virus is. Um, and yeah, working in healthcare, I do a lot of emotional work. So I do a lot of work now with, um, with it's, it's interesting how this has worked out, but victims of rape and victims of, uh, you know, people who have survived trafficking and things like that. I take care of those people in my chiropractic side now and the NET and emotional work side. So I still in some way get to serve that group. Um, but more on the healing side, not the rescue side anymore. But yeah, with COVID, um, you know, growing up in a, in a chiropractic family, um, we've kind of expected this, something like this to happen at some point. And now that it's happening, it's, you know, I think people are, people are paying attention to who's leading and who isn't right now. You know, I mean, we see a lot of people buying into the mask mandates, buying into a lot of the social distancing, um, but my experience is that people are doing it because they, they feel they have to. They're not bought in. And they're looking for people to step up and lead and, and step up and actually be an example for them. And they're paying attention to who's stepping up and who isn't. And uh, it frustrates me that more chiropractors aren't standing up. Because when, when all of this uh, passes, they're going to remember who did and who didn't. And, uh, and I really think chiropractors need to step into that vacuum. Because, I mean, who, who stands for truth when it comes to health and when it comes to expression of life and when it comes to where true healing and immunity comes from more than we do. And if we're not taking advantage of this time to, to really be standing up and be leaders, we're wasting a huge opportunity and we're just letting these sheep go to the slaughter. Well, this is a, a time of darkness. I, I feel it is at least and a time of a lot of uh, persuasion for us to be in a state of fear. And the word says that we are to be light and we are to be salt. And I think right now, for those of us who are allowing our light to shine, if you will, it's going to attract a lot more people. So this is the time when leaders can lead. And those that want to lead, I think, are going to have lots of uh, followers because we are the ones who are going to give people hope. And uh, once you give people hope, then they don't want to turn back to fear. Yeah, there's a great quote I like, and I can't remember who says it, but it's, it's the space in which you stand permissions others to do the same. And, and I just, I, that's, that's one that I do my best to live by because uh, sometimes just being you and doing, doing what you believe is right, even if you're not trying to convince other people, you know, is enough to give people the courage to do the same thing. Yeah. 
Awesome, man. Well, you know, you, you have a great story. So let's finish this on a lighter note. So, <laughs> self-empowerment group. You went through some training. You met somebody there. The funny story is you met this amazing, beautiful woman, smart, intelligent, gorgeous, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you thought she was out of your league. But then all of a sudden, years later, she gives you a phone call. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been, I've, I work with an organization called Clamor Leadership and Character Development, and I was going through one of their seminars, and, and uh, she was a facilitator, and, and, and yeah, I thought she was out of my league. She's a little older than me. She's, she's gorgeous, and uh, we became friends through that, and out of the blue this past fall, uh, I remember the day, I think it was September 3rd, she called me up in the middle of the day on a, on a <laughs> yeah, you know, man, you know what day it is. In fact, it was 11.39 a.m. <laughs> it was right around that time, actually. It was it was like 11-something a.m. She called me up and, and asked me asked me if I'd be open to a date. And uh, we had been friends for a while. It was in, it, After you dropped the phone and then picked it up again, which... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely, it definitely caught me off guard. But, uh, yeah, it... it, it it was one of the, it's definitely one of those situations where when you know, you know, man, six weeks later we were engaged. And so, uh, yeah, it's moving right along. The only challenge is she's, uh, she's Canadian. She's on the other side of the border where it's uh, not easy for us to get together right now. So we, we've actually, uh, you guys are going to like this. We found like the one location along the entire U S Canada border. It's called Peace Arch Park. It borders British Columbia and Washington. And it's technically this 40 acre park. That's just like treaty land which means Americans and Canadians can both enter this park without technically being on the other soil and they can intermingle and hang out. And this park is just full of couples and families and people who have been separated by this border who have come together probably for the first time in months. Like every time we're there, it's just this spirit of just joy and, and love and, and reconnection. That's where we meet. And uh, it's only open till dusk. So at night it gets dark and we can't stay. And so at night we go a few miles away to a stretch of border where all it is is uh, it's just a little wire fence that goes up to our waist and we can just stay there and hang out. That's usually where we have dinner, but that's what we're doing now until we can get her here. But okay, So you guys are planning on getting married real soon, get the marriage contract going. So then hopefully yep, we're going, we're, we're going, yep. So we're going through all the, you know, all the required legal channels to get her, uh, you know, permanent residency here. So, um, you know, we're learning a lot about that process right now. There's a lot of do's and don'ts that we didn't know about initially. And so we're, uh, we've got attorneys that are helping us out with just navigating the process, but God willing, she'll be here sooner rather than later. So, I mean, in such a short period of time in your life, you saw the darkest of the darkest world, and then you find this blissful love. I think in like three years, you've experienced the whole spectrum of human emotion. Dude, I tell you what, I feel like I've lived like 10 years of life in the last six months. You know, yeah. it, it's really been wild. But yeah. I mean, this was, this was the, it was the, you know, asking her to marry me was the, uh, the biggest but easiest decision I've ever made. It was easy. Well, we wish you the best. We'll, we'll want to see pictures. <laughs> absolutely i've got some good ones you know our engagement dinner you can actually see the cable fence between us we're sitting there eating steak you know <laughs> she's sitting on one side i'm sitting on the other and it's just we how we had to do it so people keep telling us it's going to be a good story to tell our kids someday cool man well how do you uh what final words would you like to leave the viewers that now are number one 
uh, final words, and then how do they contact you? Podcast information, how do they follow you? Yeah, final words. Um, man. Stand up. I mean, that's, that's those are the final words. You know, I mean, we're, we're, what we're seeing right now is uh, powers that be, if you give an inch, they're going to take a mile and uh, they're going to push you as far as, as you'll let them um, decide where your line is and freaking stick to it and, uh, and stand up for what you believe in. And when you do that, you're going to permission the people around you to do the same. But what's going on right now is there, there's so much that is uh, just corrupt and evil and wicked. And uh, the world needs people who are willing to stand up to that, who are willing to take the arrows, who are willing to inspire others. So let your light shine, however that looks, man. Uh, that's going to be my, my final word. If people want to uh, connect with me, the podcast is the Powers On Podcast with Dr. Casey Pride. You can find that on all major podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes. Uh, um, I'm sure there's others, but those are the main ones. Uh, websites, drcaseypride.com. Uh, you can find me on social media at Dr. Casey Pride on all of them, Facebook, Instagram, Parler, Twitter, all that. So pretty easy. If you, if you search Dr. Casey Pride, you'll find me. Yeah, there you go. So we're going to sign off here in a minute, so hang on. Uh, any final words for you, Doug? No, I'm just uh, really proud of you, Casey. I think that you're, you're doing your advice purpose, and I think it's pretty evident, and I can feel the energy coming through the computer screen, and I'm sure our viewers and listeners are going to really trust by what you have to say to No, I appreciate that, man. It's a pleasure meeting you. We'll have to get together sometime. You guys are both local, so. Yeah, yeah, we've we've gone out. We need to, we need to get together. Oh, shoot, we have not don't we have yeah, a plan? Did we miss that already? Yeah. No, I think we're doing that tomorrow. <laughs> okay, yeah, tomorrow. Shit, good thing. I'm like, yeah, don't we have a date? <laughs> we can yeah. pick a time you're, you're feeling saying, hey, you should go with us. You have a workshop tomorrow? Ah. All right, that's fine. We'll catch them on the, on the yeah. next time. Hey, next man, time. you're an inspiration. You know, you follow your heart. You follow your spirit. You're uh, obviously a man of faith. And you follow where you believe your God's will takes you. And you don't ask a lot of questions. So, you know, way to be a great example of, of shining your divinity through your humanity. And, um, yeah, it's awesome to have a relationship with you. No, you too, Fred, man. But I've been a fan of your work since I first heard you speak as a student. Got your book. I mean, love your work, man. So it's, it, it's just an honor. Thank you. Well, right on. Well, thank you guys again. Uh, Resurrecting Our Freedom podcast. Please share this comment, ring the bell, do all that stuff, send it around. Uh, this is one that certainly can enlighten the hearts and spirits of many people around the world. Thank you again, and we'll see you tomorrow night. <laughs>